Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, you can have a seat. Uh, man, we're, we're so glad that you're here with us. I know that, you know, things are wrapping up and finals are upon us and that's very disruptive, right? There's a lot of worry and confusion and anxiety about maybe you've got a bunch of finals on finals week or maybe your profs are like, hey, you know what? Why don't we just have all the tests this week or tomorrow or whatever? And suddenly you have just all of these responsibilities. You have all these tests and all that kind of stuff. Man, I, I know that. And so I, I'm so thankful, though, that, that you are here, that the Lord's going to be speaking and moving this morning. I know that even God can move during finals, right? He can still, he can still speak in the midst of tests. I hope. I mean, we'll see. I don't know uh, for sure. I don't know the future, um, but I know he has in the past. But sometimes, right, sometimes we hit things like finals and it's so disruptive that it changes basically everything in our life, right? The, our schedules that we're setting up, the people we're hanging out with, the time we're spending at Evans or WCL or wherever we might study in our room or in a tree or sit weeping in a, I don't know, a, a hovel. I don't know, like wherever you might go. Uh, finals are a thing that disrupt us. And sometimes we encounter those things in life, right? Sometimes we hit something that's so disruptive that it changes everything. Sometimes it's finals week. Sometimes it looks more like this. So as most of you know, um, I work at Starbucks and um, the new unicorn frappuccino came out today. And for most of you who don't know, the unicorn frappuccino is a mango based cream frappuccino, uh, no coffee, and basically has sour stuff in the middle. It tastes like a sweet tart. So, since every, like, the unicorn frappuccino came out on the internet like a few weeks ago, and it has been like the number one frappuccino ever. So, because it's been so popular online, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I need to try it when it comes out. Well, today it came out, and I have to tell you, Please don't get it! I have never made so many frappuccinos in my entire life. My hands are completely sticky. I have never been so stressed out in my entire life. It has been insane. If you love us as baristas, don't order it. It's so difficult to make right after the other. And people were coming in left and right, drive through and in the front, we don't know which type of frappuccinos go where. We just hand them out. So, for the love of God and everything that is good, don't get the unicorn frappuccino. It happens, right? It's just, it's a part of life. Braden's in high school and he now knows that lesson through the unicorn frappuccino, that there are gonna be things in this world that disrupt us, right? There's gonna be things that show up in our lives, events or, or circumstances, and they're gonna change everything about our lives. It changes what we believe. It changes how we feel. It changes why we live, right? These things will show up and they will disrupt everything that we are. And the truth is that the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is disruptive. I mean, it's dramatically disruptive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an event that occurred that should shake everything we believe everything that we feel and every reason we might have to live. That's what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's writing to a group of believers and he tells them, look, if this hasn't happened, if Christ has not been raised, he says, our preaching, it's futile. Our, our, your faith, it's 
empty. He says everything hinges upon this truth, upon this event, that Jesus of Nazareth was actually Jesus the Christ. He was the son of God who stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again. He was crucified and buried, and yet that tomb did not stay full. It was empty. It says that is the foundation of everything we say. It's the foundation of everything we believe. The resurrection should change everything. See, the world at large, it looks at Jesus of Nazareth and it'll call him a good man, maybe a wise teacher. But when the word of God looks at Jesus of Nazareth, it calls him the Christ, literally the Christos, meaning the chosen one, meaning the savior, the Messiah who stepped out of heaven and onto earth to bring the dead to life. When we look at the gospels, the account of Jesus' life, what we see is not a God who is a distant divinity or this unknowable entity, ambiguous figure. We see a God who took on flesh to walk among us so that he might know us intimately, so that he would know our pain and our struggle, so that he could empathize and sympathize with our predicament. He who knew no sin became sin for our sake. He took on the sins of the world so that we might live. When we look in the gospels, we see that Jesus of Nazareth was Jesus the Christ, the son of God, the chosen one who miraculously and graciously chooses to hold us, to grab us and bring us with him into life beyond the grave. That's what we see in the gospels. Over the last few weeks, we've been walking through his life and what we've seen most recently, kind of as we're setting up this morning in Matthew 28, Jesus was murdered and buried. Okay, he got in trouble because he was claiming to be God and so the Jewish authorities, they, they wanted him dead. And so they put him forward. They had some false witnesses that said that he was trying to overthrow Caesar and all kinds of stuff. And so he was murdered. He was crucified and he was buried. And that's where Matthew 28, verse one, picks up. When after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And suddenly there was a severe earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and he rolled away the stone and he sat on it and his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were shaken and they became like dead men because they were so afraid of this figure. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but here's the thing. He's not here for he's been raised just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. You see, Matthew 28 picks up and there's a few followers. There's a few women. There's two mentioned here and in parallel passages, there's another woman actually that's with them. There's three women that they're going to this tomb and they're not there with like a welcome home, Jesus banner. Like they are going, not in expectation of seeing him risen. They're going in expectation of having to put oils and, and spices on his corpse. They were going to anoint the corpse so that it doesn't smell quite so bad. It's kind of this ritualistic thing. They were going to kind of just sort of do nice stuff, like, again, like kind of anoint the, his buried corpse. They didn't realize that the tomb had been sealed with this big stone because that wasn't very normal. And so they were going and they thought they were just going to walk in, anoint his corpse, and leave. It was just part of the grieving process. And yet these women, they show up and they don't find a corpse. They find a miraculous event where an angel appears, a stone is moved, guards are paralyzed, and the tomb is empty. And when this happens, when they see this, it changes everything about what they believed about Jesus of Nazareth. 
right? Which they should have known this already, right? They, they could have expected this all throughout the gospels, over and over and over again. Jesus was calling his shot. Man, over and over again, he would tell his followers, hey, just so you guys know, I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise again, right? He says it over and over and over again. In one instance is John 10, where he says, this is why the father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I might take it back again. It says, no one's gonna take it away from me, but I'm gonna lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back again. He's saying over and over and over again to his followers, hey, just so you guys know, I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise again, okay? People are gonna like put me to death. Listen, that's part of my plan, right? I have the authority. No one's gonna take it from me. This isn't outside of my control. He says, if I needed legions, if I needed thousands upon thousands of angels to come and rescue me from the cross, I I could, he says, but I'm not going to. I'm using my authority to lay down my life for the sake of you guys. He says that elsewhere. He says, I'm going to lay down my life for y'all, for your sake. He tells him over and over and over again. And every single time his followers are just like, oh, <laughs> okay, Jesus, whatever. Like, okay, too many Frappuccino unicorns for this guy. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. But he says it over and over and over again. There's not a single person who's just like, wow, really? okay. I'll believe that. They don't believe it. None of them believe it. And the fact that we're on this day, this third day, when again, he had told his followers over and over again, hey, on the third day, I'm gonna rise. On the third day, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be alive again. There's not a single person who's like, yeah, maybe I should just like go check and like see. Could we like set up a tripwire with an alarm? Like no one takes any steps to actually verify if what he, said, what he was saying was true. It was completely unexpected. It was so hard for them to believe what he had been saying. They weren't a bunch of rubes, right? They weren't just like suckered into this. Some people will say like, oh no, back then people were just like, you know, vulnerable to this kind of like talk. They didn't believe it, which is really telling in the historical account. If this was a legend, I mean, if this was this fictional account of like, this is how it began, I guarantee you in, in ancient literature, there would all, there's always a hero, there would, always, there would be someone, there would be Denny the disciple and he would be the one to say, you know what, Jesus, you're right. And they're all like, Denny, get out of here. You nuts. He'd be like, no, guys, it's gonna happen. And sure enough, on the third day, Denny's sitting outside on his lawn chair with his cup, I don't know. <laughs> He's waiting and a camel. He's like, what's gonna happen? He's got his camel sidekick named Sven. He goes, Sven. It's going to happen. And it would happen. He'd be, he'd be valid. He'd be like, I knew it. And he'd be like, Denny, you knew it. He'd be like, that's right. No one forget. Denny the disciple. Like that, that would occur. The, this is, that is historical, ancient literature, legends. That's how they would unfold. And yet when we look in scripture, what we see is just failure. What we see is just all of these people being told the same thing over and over and over again. And they just, uh, uh, uh. they don't get it. They don't get it. And it's so interesting because that will drive some of us crazy, right? As we read scriptures, we're reading the Bible, sometimes people get really frustrated with that, right? That there is this kind of overarching failure of people. And yet it's something to be grateful for, for two reasons. The first is, like I said, this is, an, uh, this is a testament to the authenticity of our scripture. Things weren't written like this back then. This, this is a historical account. Literature didn't have like extraneous details or, or insignificant details. It was never like Hercules walked through the forest and there was a blue jay tweeting in his ear and he said, hello, 
blue jay, and they kept walking. Like every single detail in every single legendary account, it had a purpose. It was not superfluous. It's not like modern literature. We have a lot of like, we were world builders. And so we want to know like, well, yeah, but what does Katniss eat for breakfast? And they were like, oh, cool, bread or whatever. Like we want to know these things. And in ancient literature, they didn't do that. In legends and tales, they didn't do that. And yet when we look in scripture, what we see, it's a historical account because there's all these weird details. Jesus laid on a cushion in the boat. Why do we need to know he was on a cushion? It's just what the guy remembered. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's it's the eyewitness account. There are these women that were there. Why do we need to know their names? Someone just did. Someone remembered their names. And so they're talking about these events that transpired. It's a testament to the authenticity of our scripture because if it was fabricated, people wouldn't implicate themselves, right? They wouldn't have these details. They also wouldn't make themselves look like fools, right? If we're we're telling our own version of history, we don't implicate ourselves. We don't make ourselves look dumb. I have a daughter named Charlotte who's about two and a half. I have a son named Lawrence who's just over two months, and they normally get along really great. A week ago, it was Easter. They're wearing their Easter clothes. They're just feeling good, getting eggs and plaid, and as they were kind of living life together, uh, there was a moment on last Sunday where uh, they were kind of hanging out in the living room. The three of us were hanging out. And I just sort of stepped away for like 30 seconds. That's all it ever takes. It takes 30 seconds. And all of a sudden I hear back in the living room, ah! and it wasn't Charlotte. It was my son, Lawrence. And that's very weird. Like he's a very chill baby. He cries sometimes, but he never really yells. He doesn't like scream. But this was like a yell. It was like a, ah! like a manly, like, ah! like full throated. And so I run back into the room and Lawrence is just laying on his back. He's like, ah! And Charlotte's just sort of standing there <laughs> near him. Just, you know. I said, Charlotte, what happened? She goes, oh, I don't, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I said, Charlotte, are you, do you know what happened? Why is he crying? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I cry. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. And I said, Charlotte, did you hurt him? Like, did you hurt him some way? Mm, no, 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 no. No hurt. Lawrence, no. Charlotte, did you, did you hug him? Yeah. yeah. Did you hug him aggressively? Hmm. Who's to say? Right? That's, that's what transpired. And, and slowly but surely, I kind of got it out of her that she just, sometimes she just loves him so much, she just crushes him with love. And, and it happens. And I love it. It's so sweet. It's part of growing up. He's fine. Uh, but it's one of those moments where I recognize, man, if we're just telling our version of history, right, as we give our account, everyone's the hero in their own story, right? That's always the case. Everyone's the hero in their own narrative. And so if we were just creating this, if they were fabricating these accounts, they wouldn't look like fools. And yet time and time again in scripture, we see these people acting foolish, People disobey the Lord. They don't listen to his command. They go to that place they weren't supposed to go. They sleep with that person they weren't supposed to sleep with. They, they, they make that decision they weren't supposed to make. They kill that guy they weren't supposed to kill. And time and time again, what we see is failure upon failure upon failure. And yet what's beautiful about our scripture is that in every single instance, we see grace upon grace upon grace. And when we realize, what we read, as we read scripture, what we should realize is that the hero of our stories, the hero of our scripture is never a person. It's always God. God is the hero of our Bible. He is the hero of our scripture. Some people that throws them off. I've had conversations with believers that will contact me and be like, I don't know. 
you were really hard. I've had people come, like after sermons I'll give, they'll say, you were really hard on Isaac. I'm like, well, listen, Isaac was like, the garbage. Like he didn't do anything good. Like he did like, he did like one thing. And then everything else in his life was just like, oh, Isaac. Like that's just kind of his story. And it's something that is hard to grasp if we're trying to make him the hero, but he's not. Moses is not the hero. Abraham is not the hero. Ruth and Esther, they're not the heroes. The hero in our scripture is God. And when we see people fail, it should make us appreciate the authenticity of our scripture. And it is also meant to help us appreciate the grace of God, of the hero of our scripture. Because I can relate to someone who fails and fails and fails. I can relate to those disciples who hear the Lord tell them, hey, do this stuff, don't do that stuff. Hey, just so you know, this is gonna happen. And yet they just miss it. How many times have you heard? How many times have I heard the Lord tell me, hey, hey, don't make these decisions. Like, don't go down this path because you're gonna wind up in this destination. You're not gonna like the results of these decisions. And yet time and time again, I make those decisions. And I find myself in that destination. I'm like, well, gosh, I wish someone had warned me. And then I'm praying and I'm reading scripture. I'm like, oh, God did like 12 times. Like, and I realize it. I should have known that my pride would take me to this point. I should have known that my selfishness had taken me to this point. I should have known that not forgiving would take me to this point. I should have, I, I was told these things and yet it just bounced off my head. In one ear, out the other. We can relate to these accounts. We can relate to these failed people and we can celebrate the fact that God still loved them, loves us, always will. His favor is not dependent upon our action and our earning it. He says, I'm gonna love you even when you hate me. I'm gonna die for you even when you scorn me. Even as Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked at a crowd of mockers, people that were throwing stuff at him, yelling insults at him, and he, said, he prayed for their forgiveness. He prayed that they would be forgiven by God says they're just ignorant. Man, so when we look at the life of Christ, when we look at the fact that he died and rose again, it should change dramatically what we believe, right? It changed when we look at that empty tomb, we realize this isn't just another one of those messianic movements. There were dozens and dozens of messianic movements in that time period where guys would rise up and be like, I'm the Christ. And they would say, come follow me. And they would gain up followers. In Acts 5, there's a Pharisee named Gamaliel and he goes in front of these Roman rulers and he's, they're debating like, what are we gonna do with these Christians? They're all kooky and they're doing this stuff. And are they Jews? But no, they're not. What? And so Gamaliel goes in front of him and he says, hey, look, he says, I'm not a Christian, but just hear me out. He says, I've seen this stuff, right? He's like, me and my buds, these Pharisee pals of mine, we've seen these movements before. We've seen these messiahs rise up. He says, here's the reality. If these guys are just dudes, if they're just kind of tooting their own horns and trying to make themselves out to be something they're not, he says, you don't have to do anything. You don't need to do anything to stop them. They're just gonna fizzle out. And sure enough, dozens upon dozens of these messianic figures would rise up, they'd die, and then their followers would just, it would just dissipate, it would just die out. There are still, it didn't last. So Gamaliel goes to the Romans, he says, hey, yeah, you don't have to worry about them. If they're just dudes, is, you don't need to do anything. He says, but, he says, if they're, 
if this is actually of God, if Christianity, if Jesus of Nazareth really is Jesus the Christ, if his followers are, are speaking truth, that he is the son of God, he says, then you can't do anything. He says, you're not able to do anything. He says, you, you can't stand in front of God. Again, he wasn't a, he wasn't a Christian. He's just using logic. He says, if it's of man, you don't need to do anything. If it's of God, you cannot do anything. Christianity was different than all of those other rising deviations from standard Judaism because Jesus didn't stay dead. He's the only Messiah that backed up his words with works. And when we look in scripture, we see these constant references to these eyewitnesses, right? Our Christianity isn't founded upon the revelation that this like one dude found out or these like three people, they heard this thing, they saw these tablets and so suddenly everyone else can follow their lead. When we look at Christianity, we see Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about, look, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the apostles, he appeared to me, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And they're using these names partly because it's like, oh, I remember that person's name, but also because it authenticates the message. That means that the people that were reading these letters, they're like, oh yeah, I know James. I could just like go call him, I guess. Mm, talk to him. Can't call him. It's Bible times, right? But they would, they would know like, hey, I can go and talk to Jimmy or Paul or Mary or whoever it might be. And suddenly these witnesses, they were people that would then give accounts and say, yeah, man, this is, this is what happened. This is what I saw. I saw Jesus and he's not dead. He died and now he's not dead. What in the world? And suddenly everything that they believed about Jesus of Nazareth, it changed, it shifted. It, it, was, it was disrupted. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, man, what do we believe? What do we believe about Jesus of Nazareth? And then even for those of us that have determined, you know what? He's the Christ. He's the chosen one. He's the son of God. He's the one who died for my sake. I'm gonna trust in him. I'm gonna put my faith in him. I'm gonna trust and believe in his name. I'm gonna call upon him and, and know that I can have forgiveness of my errors and my transgressions. I can have relationship with the God of the universe because of his sacrifice. For those of us who have made that decision, we need to take it a step further and ask ourselves, well, then why do I believe that? Right? Why is it reasonable for me to believe these things, to hold to this faith? What, what kind of case can I make for this? That's why it's so important to be in scriptural-based community. Man, we, we talk about being a part of a, of a Bible study, and part of that is being in a Christian community of people that can know you and share your joys and share your struggles, can walk alongside of you in life. It's so vital. We're, we're designed for community. But we add scripture to the mix. We want to study God's word because it's, it's sort of that next step. It's knowing, hey, it's wonderful for us to know each other. And we also need to better understand the God who saved us, the God who brought us together. We need to understand not only what we believe, but why we believe it. That's why we put things like Bible studies in front of you guys so often. We try to put opportunities for Bible studies in front of you. We put opportunities for leadership in front of you because there, you don't grow more than when you're teaching. Man, you can sit under study and, and you can learn and grow, and absolutely. But if you've never been challenged in your ability to teach and, and explain and unpack God's scripture for others, to guide conversation, man, that's, that's an incredible opportunity for the Lord to work in your heart and in your mind. That's why we put these things in front of you. It's not just so that we can fill a roster. It's, it's, it's what's best for you. 
what his followers believed was, was radically disrupted by that empty tomb. It also radically disrupted how they felt. As the women are, are listening to the angel still, he says, okay, listen, go quickly. Tell his disciples, right? He's been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I, I've told you. So they left the tomb quickly and with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. All of Jesus' followers, they, they didn't believe, they didn't know if he was coming up. They, they didn't believe he was coming up out of that grave. And so they're depressed. I mean, they're, they're distraught. They, they've scattered. Some of them have already denied him, denied even knowing him. Uh, others have just kind of gone into hiding. And yet in this moment, as these women, as these followers are confronted with an empty tomb, they're filled with a healthy fear, right? Of like, what's going on? But in the midst of that fear, there's great joy because they suddenly realize, wow, there's hope, right? There's something at the end of this, that there's something at the end, the kind of final destination of this road that changes everything about what I'm experiencing right now. Man, this is a beautiful situation. This is a beautiful thing to experience, to, to be walking through fear and uncertainty and frustration, and then all of a sudden see it just swept away by hope. Can you sing the alphabet, Julie? Yes, yes, I could. Let's hear you sing the alphabet. A B C D E F to cookie monster. <laughs> You're not singing the alphabet. A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W Cookie Monster isn't the letter of the alphabet. It goes Q R S T U V. You're you're just teasing me. W X Y and Z. Now I know my ABCs. Next time Cookie Monster can do it with you. I'm leaving. I love you. I love you too. Thanks. Whoa. Thanks. Oh. oh, goodness. Suddenly all the confusion and the frustration, what? It just, it's gone. Why? Because she loves Kermit, as we all do, right? Like that's just, that's just life. We find ourselves confused and frustrated. Jesus' followers found themselves confused and frustrated and anxious and, and, and uncertain. And yet suddenly in this moment when they see the empty tomb, they realize there's hope. There's a God who's made promises that he's going to fulfill. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we don't want you believers to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. In other words, he's talking about people who have died. He's talking about believers who have died. He says, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. He constantly refers to these dead believers as asleep. Why? Because he's saying it's a temporary thing. So it's not the end of the road. Death is not the end for us. If Jesus died and then rose again, he says we're united with him in that we have this hope of a future life, of a future existence in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for by his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says we have a living, active hope. Why? Because Jesus rose. 
because the tomb was empty. He says, because of that, we have this inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, you guys got to recognize you have a hope of a future life. You have a hope of a future salvation that's secured by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In light of his death and resurrection, we can have hope that one day we'll be saved out of this world, out of this existence, that death is not the end for us, that there's more. And that's why everything hinges upon the resurrection of Christ. Because if he was still in that grave, if there was historical evidence for his body or his remains, if there was evidence of his body being stolen and burned or anything like that, if there's anything that indicated that our hope is invalid, right? My preaching is futile. Your faith is empty. But because he rose, suddenly we have the salvation awaiting for us, this beautiful deliverance beyond the confusion and the frustration of this world. We know we have a God who loves us, who promises that we will be with him for all of eternity. Gosh, do you feel that? Does that change how you feel? Because it should. There might still be fear and anxiety. I mean, we're still gonna mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Absolutely. But through all of it, we know we have a greater hope. Through all of it, we know I have a God who loves me, who's promised to be at work in my life now, who's promised that he's gonna complete his work in me in the future, beyond death. One day I'm gonna be made perfect in his sight and I'm gonna reign with him for eternity. We have that hope right here in front of us. And yet so often, if we're honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves, what what am I hoping in? How do I feel? We're finding ourselves anxious and uncertain and frustrated because we're putting our hope in other things. I'm putting my hope in things of this world, of this accomplishment or my kids to be like this or, or to get to have this relationship or know this person or whatever it might be. You're putting your hope in getting that job or having this internship or having this relationship work out or graduating on this day. And suddenly when you're looking at your hope in these other places, you're, you're deviating from scripture. Paul tells us we should be putting our hope in heaven, in the eternal things that do not rust or spoil. And yet so many times we're finding ourselves putting our hope in this world and it's always gonna disappoint us. And we shouldn't be shocked when we feel anxious and uncertain because we have cause to, right? Because the things of this world, they're broken. The people that you're going to try to base your life on, they're broken. You're going to get married to that person and you're like, gosh, you're, you're going to be the answer to all of my problems and you're going to realize this is not true. You're going to put all your hopes and dreams into getting this one job and you're like, if I could just get that job at that company, I'll be set. And you're going to get six months in, you're going to be like, this is not It's not what I signed up for. And yet God has told us, put your hope in me. Put your trust in me. He says, and it's it's guaranteed. You can be filled with joy. There's gonna be trials and tribulations, absolutely. But you know what happens is they build perseverance. Is that I'm gonna use that perseverance. I'm gonna use these experiences you're going through and, and I'm gonna turn it for my glory and for your good. That's why we celebrate baptisms, right? Because it's just this moment to just testify to the world, hey, my hope is in being united with Christ, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. 
That's why we have baptisms in two weeks because we're celebrating. This is where our hope lies. The tomb is empty. And my heart rejoices in light of that. The empty tomb disrupted what they believed. It disrupted how they felt. And it disrupted why they lived. Man, as these women, they're leaving the scene, right? They're, they're following the angel's command. They're gonna go get the other disciples, the other followers of Christ. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets them. And he says, greetings, which is the best, man. <laughs> In the midst of this confusion, he uses this term. It's, it's beautiful, kairate. Uh, and it's literally how you would open up like a letter to your buddy. You'd just be like, what's up, right? The modern day equivalent of like, what's good? How's it hanging, yo? I don't know. But you, it's, he's basically just opening up like, hey, what's up? And so the women, they're like, oh my gosh. And they come to him. They held on to his feet and they start worshiping him. They're like, what? What do you mean, what's up? You, you're up, literally. Like, what's going on? And then Jesus says to him, hey, don't be afraid. He says, go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. He shows up in the midst of this disruption. Why? Because he wants to show them, hey, I've got a plan for you, right? Because he knows they need a purpose. They're filled with joy. They're filled with hope. They're filled with passion. But Jesus knows that they need a direction for that energy. He knows that consistent passion requires a clear purpose, right? We have to move in a direction. For example, like smashing your sister's arm into a table. One, two, relax, go. (laughs) I can't hold the camera spinning. Come on, go, 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 go. Oh, passion, right? What a beautiful picture. Drive, right? It's been ignited and it's been directed. And she says, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna defeat my sister in in Mortal Kombat arm wrestling. And she's gonna destroy her. And yet, when, as soon as it's over, right, the pastor goes, she's like, okay, and back to life, you know, and she's fine. The reality is that a lot of times we find ourselves, we have this passion that's ignited and we're moving in a direction. And yet as soon as we achieve that goal, as soon as we finish that purpose, our passion kind of dissipates, right? Well, that's why we lose our passion when we achieve things like getting that job, right? You, you get the job and you're like, oh, wow. And then you get six months into the job. You're like, well, I don't, what am I doing? I got it. What do I do with it? We get tired with our jobs. We get bored with our spouses. We're like, oh, I want to get married. I'm so focused on this marriage. And then you're focused on the wedding. And then you're focused on like being married for like a year. And then you get a few years in. And I've seen it with my friends. I've seen it time and time with counseling appointments. And I see people looking at each other and be like, well, what are we doing now? And the passion is gone. Why? Because they were focused on the purpose of just getting married. It's not a purpose that lasts. We need something greater. We need something bigger. We need something that will maintain itself, something that will ignite and then maintain our passion. We need this clear purpose that, that transcends these little elements of our world. That's why Paul, in writing to believers in Romans 6, he tells them, he says, hey, look. Uh-oh. He says, we've been buried with him, with Jesus Christ, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. He says, we've been buried and raised, not just so that we can sit around and be like, oh, wow, 
You got raised too? Awesome. He says, we've been raised so that we can live a new life. We've been raised to live. Jesus doesn't just want fans, right? He wants followers. He doesn't just want people that are impressed with what he accomplished. He wants people that are engaged in his mission. He doesn't want people that just sit back and reflect on what he said and did. He wants people to get up and to move and to be involved in the purpose that he lays out. He's about to tell his disciples in Matthew 28, he says, I want you to go to everyone in the entire world. And I want you to tell everyone what I taught you. I want you to invite everyone to follow me just as you are my followers. He says, I want you to bring everyone into your camp. That's the purpose that's in front of you. And listen, that's the purpose that's in front of us. That's the great commission that didn't just last for the first hundred years of the early church. It's, it's in front of us right now. Our purpose is to love our God, to love these people, and to tell them what Jesus told us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Not disciples of Jacob or, or Jimmy or Grace Bible Church or Sally or whatever. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ. He says, that's the purpose that's in front of you. That's the purpose that lasts. It's the greatest purpose we could ever imagine. And then if we're really honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves, man, why do I live? What do I get up for? Why am I here today? Why am I going to school tomorrow? So many times we're focused on on elements of this world that are good, right? You should be working diligently in school. You should be working hard in your job. You should be caring for the people around you. But that's not your end purpose. Our end purpose is to glorify God in all things, to do all of our work as for him. Our purpose in all things is to love people so that they might know and love God. Our purpose ultimately is to glorify the Lord. That's what we are here for, church. We're the body of Christ. We're his hands and feet in light of his ascension to heaven. We're doing what he would be doing. And so for a lot of us, what, what that looks like is we're going to move into vocations. We're going to be accountants and teachers and engineers and, and biologists and, I don't know, other things. And, and that's great. And we will use the gifts that God has given us to work excellently. And we can be a testament. We can be a witness for who God is in those places. The vast majority of us are going to do that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful calling. For a few of us, we're gonna be called in a slightly different direction. We're gonna be called into vocational ministry. And you've had a tug on your heart for this year, this semester, or these last few weeks, or this time that you've had in college. You've had these tugs in your soul where you're thinking, man, I don't know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'd go into this nonprofit or maybe I'd go work for this church or maybe I'd go overseas on mission. And let me just tell you, that is something that I am passionate about. Right? We preached on faith in the workplace and we will again in the next year or two. And that is so important. It's the vast majority of us, but there's a few, there's a sliver of us that are called to vocational ministry. That's what I'm doing. I don't know if you knew that. I don't like sell unicorn frappuccinos on the side. Like this is my full-time thing. You are my job. And in light of that, I, I want you to know, I, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. I don't say it enough, but I would love to be a resource for you, especially in light of if you are feeling, man, I, I'm kind of being pulled in towards the vocational ministry, please Initiate with me. Talk to me about that. I would love to meet up. I will buy you coffee and take 45 minutes to an hour of your time. It won't. It's not that much. I know finals are coming up. I, I won't absorb three days of fasting and prayer and go and kill an animal. Uh, but it, I'm not going to do those things. 
We can just sit down and talk for an hour. I would love to hear your story. I would love to know where the Lord's leading you. I, I would love to just kind of know, man, what's happening in our midst, especially in light of vocational ministry. It's something that I'm passionate about. So please, if that's you, please email me. It's so easy. Just email me. Send me an email. Say, hey, I'd love to meet up sometime. Maybe some of the next few weeks. Maybe just give me a heads up. We can connect in the fall. We can connect in the summer. Man, but God has put this purpose in front of us that is so great. It's so high. It's so perfect. But are we living for it? Is that where our eyes are set? Man, the tomb, it disrupts our belief. It disrupts our feelings. It disrupts our purpose. So let's go before the Lord and thank him for that disruption. God, we thank you that you have given us, Lord, just this incredible truth that, that you love us perfectly. God, you love us despite our sin and our failure. Lord, you died for us, not because of what we did, but in spite of what we did. Lord, you have set this example for us that is uh, it's perfect and it's, it's intimidating. Lord, it's, it's, it can fill us with fear, but Lord, it also should fill us with this incredible joy, this gratefulness, this thankfulness that we can call in the name of Jesus Christ and be saved free from condemnation, free from death. Lord, you have given us this incredible gift of life. Ah, God. If you would take a moment now and just pray to him and say, God, I want you to show me, Lord, convict me. Where is it that I'm, I'm kind of needing some sharpening? I'm needing some strength. Lord, it's, I'm still struggling to believe what you've said about yourself, about Jesus. Lord, maybe I'm struggling with, with how I feel about it, but Lord, maybe it's, I'm not filled with hope right now. I'm, I've got a lot of frustration or anger, disappointment, anxiety. Or maybe you are honest with the Lord. You say, God, I, I, I don't know what I'm living for. I, I had these ideas and these expectations and I, I've, I've accomplished a few. I've, I've failed at some others and, and God, I just feel kind of adrift. Honestly, just confess to the Lord, God, this is where I'm at. And then pray, God, use your spirit to, to strengthen me in this, Lord, to move me forward. Lord, create a conversation with, with my friend or my, my roommate, this person who knows me and loves me and can encourage me. God, show me this avenue, this, this area I can get plugged into that, that will help guide my purpose or, or guide my feelings. Lord, show me, Lord, what's the next step? God, who can I talk with? What, what can I know from your scripture that reassures me? Lord, use your spirit to strengthen me where I'm weak. Let me rejoice in what you can do. Take a moment, pray those things. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith, uh, and we are just so glad that you've joined us uh, as we basically look a little bit deeper into our talks and then look down the road at what's coming up in our ministry. That's right. And so we are finishing up the Gospel of Mark. We just finished this past Sunday, mm -hmm. and it was a ride. Yes, it was. Well, the, the life of Christ, because <laughs> we're not... I, I dipped out of Mark a little bit. I went into Matthew a couple times, including yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so we saw the empty tomb yesterday, and it was, he's risen. He's risen indeed. There it is. Uh -huh. And he, uh, 
Yeah, and it's it was really fun just kind of getting to to see the culmination. Yeah, especially in the gospel, even though I wasn't in Mark, I know Mark is really cool just because it has that sort of abrupt ending. It, it does talk about Jesus and Mark. It does. <laughs> yeah, so. does it a little bit? Uh, but it, it is. It's really neat just to see, um, especially in the gospel of Mark, just where Christ, he's up, he's out. He sees his disciples like one more time. He says, hey, meet me on this mountain in Galilee. They go out there and he's like, okay, go go do stuff, you know, like live with this purpose, live with this mission, and um, I'll see you guys later. And then he, you know, goes away. So I don't, it's just, it's sort of a cool. It's a good play-by-play. Play. <laughs> That's um, the Jacob translation. At the end of, yeah. Uh-huh. Of Matthew. But Mark is different. Did you Mark, talk about it at all I, yesterday? I did talk about Mark. Um, that like was the, our original plan. But uh, Jacob Jacob has his own <laughs> rendition of the gospel that he likes to go into. Now just play so, so yeah, Matthew, each gospel is a little bit unique in the presentation. I think that's so uh, actually affirming that the yeah. gospel accounts are accurate. Um, if everything – so in the court of law, if you're interviewing a bunch of different people and they all have the exact same story with the exact same details, mm-hmm. you would actually accuse them of collusion mm-hmm. and you would dismiss their testimony as being contrived. Uh, it's actually the varieties of details that show the – um, the legitimacy of the testimony. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what we have in the four Gospels. And and what's n- interesting about Mark is the abrupt ending in verse 8. Um, most definitely all liberal scholars and even conservative scholars uh, would agree that the end of the Gospel of Mark is verse 8, and the rest of the 9 through the end is additions that were later on added because the the ending in verse 8 feels so Weird. Yeah. So some biblical scholar was like, I, I can fix this. I can, <laughs> I can make it better. <laughs> and and so there's actually like two miracles. reasons, two, two different options for this. One is that uh, the Gospel of Mark was meant to be read aloud in the in the early church. Mm-hmm. And so the person reading it would have added on the rest of the story. Uh, verse 8 basically has the women running away terrified, saying nothing, mm-hmm. um, which would have been an odd ending because we've kind of heard about Jesus nowadays. You know, so the, so the people did spread the message. But Mark, uh, so one option is that the person reading the letter would have uh, expounded upon the end of um, the story and said, hey, this is what this is what happened on the tail end, and I'm here to testify about that. Mm-hmm. Um, another option is that this is actually what Mark's been doing throughout the entire book. He has stopped short of an explanation to make the reader, make the listener, make the next step. And so you have option, uh, moments like when he said, when Jesus calms a storm and they ask a question, who, who is this man that mm-hmm. even the winds and waves obey him? Boom, in a chapter. And then they go to the next one. <laughs> right. and, and you see that several times in the Gospel of Mark. And, and, and so one, one commentator, William Lane, in his Gospel of, of Mark commentary, uh, takes the stand that actually this is, uh, this is accurate to how Mark portrays the Gospel, yeah. uh, that he, is, he abruptly ends to make you make the next step. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's that's the direction I took you own it. it. He tricks you into a confession of yeah, where yeah. You're like, like wait a minute, he, he said nothing? Christ. But yeah. this he rose from the dead. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. Someone should everyone should know this. Oh. Everyone should know this. And that makes the listener Boom. take the next step. So got, anyway, that, that's kind of where I landed. You got marked. <laughs> that um, it is cool because right, it's like the again going back to like the the like different details in the different gospels is the same thing with Matthew. Since I've been dipping into Matthew more, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a little bit more familiar with it. And Fair enough. That's like the, that's a great example. Like when he calms the storm, he's like they say, "Oh, truly, he's the, this is the son of God." Like it's the kind of the first confession in Matthew mm-hmm. is they're like, "Oh, truly, this is the son of God." Um, but yeah, like you said, but in Mark, it's just like, "Who is this guy? 
and then and like they they don't talk they don't give any more dialogue right um so it's it's right it definitely feels like an intentional move inspired by the spirit written by mark um anyway so it is it is fun but now we're done it's we, all we can't ever people. we can never come it's back <laughs> never come back to it yeah so but we got two more weeks a little bit more time right we got two more weeks this week um is April 30th that's coming up, and we're going to have uh, some guest speakers at mm-hmm. both campuses, and that'll be lots of fun. Uh, then May 7th uh, will be our last mm-hmm. Sunday of the semester. Grand finale. We're going to do some worship. We're going to do some thank yous. We're going to do some senior send-offs. So we'd love to have you out May 7th, definitely the next over the next two weeks, but May 7th, mm-hmm. especially if you're a senior, uh, we'll have like a little moment of uh, prayer for you guys as mm-hmm. you um, exit to the next stage in life. Yeah, which uh, that actually even connects our kind of our main Anderson announcement is that we have baptisms on May 7th. So you guys did yeah. baptisms yesterday. We're doing them here in a couple of weeks. And there's still time if you're interested in being baptized as a believer, uh, then you can uh, email college at grace-bible.org and yeah. we will get you started on that process. Because yeah. uh, it's really, it's a it's an awesome Sunday. We have about six people signed up right now. Awesome. Um, and so there's room for like six more. We're about halfway full. Um, and it'll fill up, so you should let us know. So fun. And, and baptism services are always amazing, and it's encouraging to hear all the testimonies. And a great place to bring a friend, you mm-hmm. know, to hear hear these people confess how they, how they came to faith. Yeah. Um, the other announcement we got is that there's a coffee house over at our Southwood campus, and it's going to be going on May 3rd through 4th. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a time to get someplace to study. Uh, every coffee shop gets overloaded this time of year. Mm-hmm. You're like, you've never been to a coffee shop to study all year. Mm-hmm. That's why they're all packed out uh-huh. near finals. Right. <laughs> and so we want to give you a place to study over at Southwood. It's going to be May 3rd and 4th. The details are yeah. online. Lots of seats and tables and Wi-Fi, yep. free snacks, and coffee's like a dollar. And I think we just we put all the money into our missions, into sending people over the summer. Do, so. You got to pay a dollar for coffee for missions. For the gospel. Boom. Boom. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. Hope you have a great end of the semester. Talk to you next time. So long.